0: Well, in an effort to alleviate load-shedding in the country, Finance Minister Inok has announced that government will take on more than half of ESCOM's debt at 254 billion rand. Uh, now, this has been welcomed by Section 27, which says that we are a country desperate to resolve the energy crisis, particularly in South African hospitals and health facilities where the lack of facilities and certainly the breakdown of infrastructure, the lack of uh, service delivery been, has been absolutely evident. Joining us this morning is Daniel McLaren, Senior Researcher, researcher and Budget Analyst at Section 27. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning, Nene. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us, Daniel. Da- Daniel, would you agree that the minister did not have much space, or should I say choice, for manoeuvring with an economy under pressure? How was his performance uh, the other
1: day? That's, that's definitely correct. I think we we'll all agree that um, we are in a bit of a tight spot. and We have been for a few years on the back of the Zumi years, the state capture that we saw during that period. Um really kind of beating the fiscus and and, um, taking our SOEs down pathways where they would need constant bailouts and then unfortunately the COVID-19 pandemic um, you know resulted in the biggest GDP dip in our country's history um, and destroyed more jobs in the space of I think nine months than you know we'd ever seen on record so we're coming out of that uh, period and um, we're now in a load shedding crisis and, um, that, that does make the, 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 treasury's role, um, in terms of managing the public finances, um, trickier than ever. Um, I, I think, yeah, obviously the main story was ESCOM and, and the bailout package. Quite interesting how they've designed that as loans rather than transfers, but that's kind of a technical conversation. I mean, the, the fact is that they have. Um, they have provided a fairly substantial amount of money over three years. Some people would say, um, you know, the utility needs more because um, the extent of the maintenance required and the extent of the investment required to get us out of load shedding means the utility could have actually um, handled a bigger bailout. But you know, others would say that um, such as the the rot in the, in the procurement spend and the um, the kind of uh, syndicates that are kind of bleeding ESCOM dry, you know, any more money might not be so well spent. So I think they're probably tre- treading a cautious, you know, balancing act with ESCOM. Um, uh, but in Section 27, we're really concerned about the health and education funding, and I suppose we can uh, come on to that in due course.
0: Mm. Uh, well, you know, the, the minister, of course, stated that eradicating uh, poverty, inequality, and unemployment is as urgent, if not so you know, more so, than it was at the dawn of our democracy that was thirty years ago. But uh, I mean, do you believe government uh, continues to make decisions that somehow deepen I- inequality? I mean, this has been the observation of many, particularly in areas of basic education and healthcare services, where it, we have seen a, a, a spiral down. When it comes to the the services government has provided, uh, well, well before COVID nineteen, for that matter, in in these two important sectors, which are uh, which are key in alleviating poverty,
1: I, I think the evidence does does bear that out, and I think the fact that um, the rhetoric of the the finance minister's speeches has become increasingly defensive, you know, saying we're not doing austerity, and you know, inequality is still important to us um as the rhetoric kind of increases it's 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 kind of to cover not so much to cover up but really just to distract in, in a sense from the fact that spending on most of the social um wage has in fact declined um in real terms there's a there's an exception in relation to the 350 grant by the introduction of that during the pandemic um resulted in an a fairly substantial increase in in, um, transfers to the poorest South Africans. Um, But that really is an exception. And if you look uh, at the other areas from spending on housing, spending on land reform, um, and spending on public schools and public health facilities, all of those have seen a decline, um, not just in the last few years, but really over about a decade now, with a few exceptions. Um, And the social grants um, outside of the SRD grant uh, were not increased in line with inflation for the past two years. And so the real value of of the grant system to people's pockets has been eroded. Um, And that was slightly fixed in this budget, but not completely, because if you don't um, increase the level in line with inflation for two years and then you just increase it, by one year's inflation in the third year you're still behind in terms of the value of those grants so the value of the social grants package to pensioners to um, to, to, to um, low-income families um, to persons with disabilities has been eroded um, over the last few years and um, in education and health we've seen a real decline in spending a learner in the education system and per user in, in the public healthcare system so on that basis you know, 80 to 85% of South Africans go to public schools and use public health facilities. And so when less money is being spent on those, that's equivalent to, um, you know, a reduction in the social wage and a reduction in um, attempts to combat inequality. And um, what you see on the flip side has been a quite soft treatment of higher income tax payers and um the in terms of not not increasing the tax brackets and not requiring um taxpayers to fork out more each month and while um there's fairly good arguments that in a, in a very low economic growth environment that may be an an advisable route to follow the fact is that if you decide not to increase taxes but you decide to cut spending then you're really saying that, the, you know, the people we want to protect are the top 20% of income earners and the people that we're prepared to sacrifice are the kind of 80-odd percent of the population that uses um, the government's public services.
0: You know, Daniel, whilst we're on the topic of the healthcare, the, the budget related to the to, to the healthcare, funding related for the healthcare sector, uh you know, whilst that has not been adjusted, uh, are you concerned? I mean, have you observed that there are certain departments of the healthcare facility uh, or, or the national healthcare system, like oncology and mental health, that have have not really you know kept up to pace? They have not really improved. We've heard consistently of broken down oncology cancer related uh, equipment not functioning, uh, cancer patients, mental health patients not receiving their uh, their, their due care and attention. And this is on the back of genuine crises that this country has seen. Life as a many is still an ongoing discussion, especially amongst the family members that that have lost their, their their near dear ones. Well, primarily, primarily to the to 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 the government system. Your concerns about these departments of of, of healthcare that that remain unfunded or underfunded.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's what we see in our work every day. Um, Working in the public health sector and advocating for for patients' rights. Um, I mean, there's really two sides to the the budget issue facing these sectors. You know, the one side is is on governance and accountability and making sure that rands and cents are spent on the right things and you know are not subject to corruption and we've definitely seen a lot of corruption in health in health procurement as we've seen across the public sector when it comes to procurement there's been corruption and so that that does mean that the money that we do allocate doesn't go as far as it should and sometimes those goods and services budgets which potentially could allow departments if they were cleaned up to you know buy the oncology equipment and procure better mental health services doesn't allow them to but at the same time there's no doubt that there's also big uh, funding shortfalls Um, and we see those funding shortfalls in relation to mental health care that's been well documented there's no disagreement about that Um, you know the life after the many tragedy was mainly a result of poor governance um, decisions being taken with no accountability and with no regard for patients rights but, the, you know, the officials were under budgetary pressures. You also can't escape that in terms of the mental health budget shrinking and being really not up to what it needs to be. And so part of the solution is to increase the funding while simultaneously you know, improving governance and accountability. And the same is true for equipment. Uh, even if you did have a completely clean procurement system, you would still be lacking the resources to buy the oncology equipment that's needed Uh, especially outside Hateng province. Many, many um, South Africans travel to that province because it still has um, quite a lot of good equipment in the oncology sector, although it's still an issue in in Hateng. So something we've actually been advocating for and are pleased that the government is rolling out this year is um, in the absence of kind of proper movements towards national health insurance, we're trying to learn the lessons of the COVID pandemic where the private sector was utilized by the public sector for, for services. And that's part of the solution to, to oncology. So in hutting there is um, agreements being reached with the private sector to allow public sector patients to use private sector and for, you know, the government to reimburse those private hospitals. But, um, yeah, in the long run, we need better funding and better governance. And, um, that's also true in infrastructure. Um, this year, we see infrastructure spending just about keeping up with inflation, which is okay in in normal times. But we've also had a lot of damage um, to hospitals um, and clinics as a result of floods and um, adverse weather. Um, and we also see the need to invest in health infrastructure in terms of protecting it from load shedding. And unfortunately, in the Q&A with some of the Treasury officials when we, when we actually asked them, um, you know, what money is going to be spent to equip health facilities and hospitals to, to adjust to the increased load shedding, they didn't have an answer yet. And they said they hadn't yet figured out with the National Department of Health how the Disaster Management Act was going to assist health facilities, even though that is the goal. So we're a bit frustrated by the slow implementation there and the lack of progress because, you know, we're in stage six right now and um, clinics all over the country, hospitals all over the country are already suffering, you know, without lights, um, struggling to pump water and, as you know, struggling to operate equipment as a result of um, this load shedding. So we, that's also an area where we want to see a resolution.
0: Hmm. Daniel, um, before I let you go, and finally, and final, you know, point of our discussion is the uh, current state of disaster. We know that the one disaster related to the energy, but the one that's more recent for the entire country, but here in KZN, it's been ongoing for over a year now, or just about a year. And that is the issue of the flooding and the impact of the uh, of flooding in in Gauteng, various other provinces, and here in KZN, the impact that it has had on infrastructure Infrastructure, where municipalities claim that you know what we we've lost control of the of the sewage system and various other water purification systems. Uh, has national government acknowledged at least that many of these areas, especially in the Val Triangle here in KZN, are going to require sufficient assistance from central government post flooding in their areas? I
1: think it would be fair to say that. On the central government side, there is an awareness of the need financially and there is some uh, funds being allocated and the declaration of the state disaster will assist with that. Um, so I, at this point, I'm not foreseeing that funding shortfalls from central government are going to be the biggest challenge. I really think the biggest challenge is going to be the, how the provinces and municipalities affected by flooding, you know, um, spend the, those disaster relief funds. Um, because they have been, um, used for nefarious ends and, you know, um, the kind of the la- lack of procurement check and checks and balances, which is sometimes necessary when respond responding to a disaster or an emergency sometimes get exploited. So I think that's something for citizens, um, on the ground to really, you know, monitor as closely as they can. Um, and then the second part is, as you said, you know, these are, um, you know, it's one thing to have flooding uh, when when you have kind of functioning systems which can deal with a certain rise of, you know, water levels and rainfall. But when you have that on top of dysfunctional systems which aren't being properly maintained in water or sewerage or electricity, then the disaster is much, much worse. And obviously those municipalities and provinces which haven't been looking after their infrastructures in the way that they should should be are, are going to be the most badly affected. So I really think, um, you know, we have to, there's so many people standing up for for the rights of their communities and doing what they can. And I think that is, um, and part of part of the role is, is making sure, keeping a track of these money flows for this disaster response and making sure that the uh, promises and the, the needs of the people are, are met and the promises which are made are, kept in, in terms of getting this money to to where it's most needed and spending it um, as effectively as possible.
0: Daniel McClellan, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Islam International this morning with your insights and your takes on, uh, well, budget speech and, and other related matters. And have a good day ahead of you, uh, D- Daniel. Thank you. And to you.